Alright guys, we are back. It's been a long time awaited return. Two weeks to be exact. This week, episode number 60 of the Daru Strong Podcast. Oh, again, I'm your host, Phil Daru. If you guys haven't checked out the video version, go ahead and check out that on YouTube, Daru Strong Podcast. Today I have my guy, Nick Tuminello. Now, Nick is a longtime coach. The guy has put his time in the industry. He, we talked about everything from isolation movements for sport performance and misconceptions in the fitness industry. The guy has been through it all. He's seen the trends and now he gets to share them with us today. So make sure you stay tuned. But before we do that, I have to shout out the sponsors. Check out VivoBarefoot.com. Vivo Barefoot is the minimalistic shoe that you see me rocking in all my YouTube videos and some of my Instagram. If you aren't following me on Instagram, it's the Roo Strong. But that's the shoe that's been helping a lot of my fighters, my athletes, my coaches even, um, increase their strength in their feet and the intrinsic muscles of the feet. When we're talking about minimalistic shoes, we want to make sure that we're getting back to a primal base of movement, right? So utilizing a shoe with a limited uh, support in a sense that allows your foot to stabilize and strengthen as you walk. So definitely check it out, vivobarefoot.com. Use my discount code at DeRustrong or DeRustrong and you'll get 10% off your final purchase. Also have to shout out Element, man. Element has been hooking me up for this entire triathlon prep um, electrolyte mix. It has, right when we see it, it has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. I utilize just one packet in every bottle of my workouts when I'm going and I'm going for my long runs, my long cycling workouts, and my brick runs. This definitely comes in handy um, to keep me going, to keep the electrolytes pumping through my body so that I do not cramp and I have the energy to produce the, the efforts that I need to for my training. So check them out. I believe it is element.com, L-M-N-T, and uh, let them know that I sent you, all right? Now, let's get on to the podcast. I was 18, opened my own gym with a business partner in Baltimore, Maryland, Mark Spataro, who I still love like a brother, at the, at the age of 20, 21. So we had a 3,500 square foot private training facility before I was 21 years old. Nice. I was that booked with clients already at nice. the time. Um, I'd already been invited to the Baltimore Ravens training facility. I'm originally from Baltimore, if you didn't detect my accent. Um, so I just started pursuing education real quick, just a quick background without boring people too much. And my mom was a bodybuilder in the 80s. When my parents got divorced, I mainly lived with my dad. The way my mom and I would get together is we would meet at fitness conferences. Yeah. Because I was a high school wrestler and athlete and I was into fitness. Mm -hmm. And she was in the medical field and into fitness as well. So when I was like 14 years old, I was attending fitness conferences with my mom just to have spend time with my mom because yeah. we'd go to different destination places. Yeah. But I was actually paying attention to classes. So I had attended more conferences by the time I was probably 18 years old than a lot of trainers that throughout, may do throughout their career. Yeah, that's great. 
I, I would say it's probably an eye-opening thing when you when you're able to share that thing with your mom and she kind of yes. thrust you into this industry in a sense but in a good way yeah. and just something you could share with her like what was the thing with like with your dad did he like did he do any strength and conditioning or did he do any like fitness type stuff or was he just like nope. ah, I'm good. he has one dumbbell he just did bicep curls <laughs> every other day to work on his uh yeah work on his arms now my parents are, are polar opposites so the fitness thing the influence definitely comes from my mom my mom and i still Bond. She has wow. a yoga studio in Port Ritchie, Florida, called Flow Yoga. Nice. She uh, teaches. She has a medical degree as well, so she gotcha. teaches like medical related to yoga and yoga mm -hmm. anatomy. Mm -hmm. So she's very much into it. So yeah, fitness is very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. And anytime I see fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, mother and son, you know, yeah. training at the same time, not necessarily together, it's a, it's something that's very special to me because I can relate to that. It's important, man. I think that sharing a bond. I have a I have a six year old son, and I have two. Um, older teenage daughters so mm -hmm. it's like working with them and teaching them things is, is that bonding experience definitely helps but yeah. so taking a step forward what did you just when did you decide to actually get into the business and actually use this as like a career <laughs> i probably like a lot if you're a trainer out there this probably happened to a lot of you like it happened to me i was 16 years old i was pretty good shape mm -hmm. you know and uh, i was in a gold's gym and some guy it was like 30 or 40 walked up to me I think he and I were chatting mm -hmm. and he was like you seem to know what you're doing he's like can I pay you to meet me here tomorrow and train me <laughs> and I and I'm kind of like okay yeah and he's like oh, I'm gonna give you 50 bucks and it's like you're 16 years old you know like you might make that in a day you yeah. know so I was like sure mm -hmm. so and I actually think I was visiting my mom at the time I was living in Baltimore but I was visiting my mom in Florida yeah. worked with this guy a couple days ended up making like a couple hundred bucks. He ended up giving me like a hundred bucks a day. And I just yeah. thought I can make a career out of this. So I didn't, I didn't go into it knowing, but by the time I was 18, I definitely knew I wanted to be a trainer. And yeah. I was that last generation. I'm not trying to act like I'm Mr. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I, I was that last generation where personal training started to become a career. Yeah. You were getting to be a trainer in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Gotcha. It looked like you could actually make money. For sure. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Five, or, five years prior to that, and, and mm -hmm. functional training was blowing up. Yeah. All the equipment was blowing up, all mm -hmm. the bands and the uh, wobbly stuff, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I know we've gone through trends, but yeah. five years prior to that, if you said you wanted to be a trainer, people mm -hmm. like, okay, when are you gonna get a real job? Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been, an, I guess until, but like the Mike Boyles of the world and yourself too as well that really and started Mike to- Mike prior generation before me. He's the OG. Right. OG. He's the, oh yeah, he's, he's definitely- First ever strength conditioning center. Yeah, no, and, yeah. and so, and even with, uh, who's the coach for the, uh, what was it, Nebraska? Uh, oh, you're talking about you're talking about the guy who started NSCA. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's like, oh my god. I'm, yeah, I'm totally drawing a blank, right? I cannot believe. Oh, Boyd Epley. Boyd Epley. That's, that's it. That's I'm it. I'm gonna yeah. lose my NSCA card if I don't yeah. remember and listen, that name. Don't don't hate on us, NSCA. Listen, um, yeah. but those guys kind of pioneered the way. Now, when you because you've seen all the trends, right? And it's still going on to this day. Sure, humans what, are humans. Yeah, it, it is what it is. But what do you see that has actually stood the test of time from then until now? Do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think people, you're probably going to know the answer. I mean, certain people probably have a list of lifts in their head, like big lifts or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not going to go down that route. Okay. I would just say, you know, principle specificity and consistency, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, every generate, let's look at fitness instead of sports performance. It's broader, yep. right? Every generation has its list of 
celebrities and athletes that used whatever was the hot training trends at the time and they looked great mm -hmm. right so whoever was the hot model there or the or in when the movie 300 came out right it was the guys who whatever they were doing that's what we're going to do yeah. and then 10 years before that it was something else and we can get to points now where we things we make fun of today but somebody looked great mm -hmm. and there was people who were saying it worked mm -hmm. right otherwise nobody would do these things yeah. so why did they fall off if they didn't work what they all had in common, it wasn't as much the magic formula. It was that the people that did it stayed consistent with it. They watched their diet and they trained at a higher, at an intense, and challenged themselves. Yep. So I'm not going to go down the route. Let's look to the big lifts. I could get you brutally strong without barbells. Mm -hmm. I can do split squats with you. So it's not one piece of equipment. Yep. But that's the only thing that stood the test of time is mm -hmm. just being really consistent with it. Uh, I'm sorry if you wanted a sexy answer on that one, but there's no, no sexy answer. No, no, definitely. I yeah, yeah. But uh, I will say this before. What I just said, though, is important because a lot of times we get caught up in what works for us or what we think is best, and we forget that you're training humans. you got to get people from the neck up. And if they don't buy in, you have someone who – you like barbells, but that person said, look, I hurt my back doing sure. that. Or right. I, train, I train pro football players that came to me and go, they go, I am so sick of doing deadlifts and cleans. Yeah. I want to do something else. Yeah. So it was like the first thing I go, okay, that's why they came to me, to yeah. get away from that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what also works is l actually listening to people. 100%. And then taking that and adding the principles yeah. of specificity, overload, consistency mm -hmm. to that. That's what stands the test of time. Do you think adding value as a trainer, you need to have a level of diversity? Um, when it comes to training anyone, especially especially general population, but but athletes included, like you need to have a well versed array of, of skill sets. Yeah, I got a really good canned answer to that. When when you know more, you can do more. When you know better, you can do better, mm -hmm. right? So it is. It does help to have a few things in the toolbox because mm -hmm. if you're always working, so this is probably my big. I might be going off topic here. Probably my biggest concern with the nowadays, I'm always a little worried about saying that again, I sound like to get off my long thing. <laughs> but when I started training, and I'm not gonna make it sound like it was better when I was doing it, I'm not gonna go down that route. Mm -hmm. But when I started doing it, it was you either were a big box gym or you were a private training gym. There, there was no CrossFits, there was no OTFs, there was no, we had spinning, but spinning was at gyms. Mm -hmm. And then maybe a few years later, you started with the, like, the speed school places yeah. that targeted the kids. Yeah. And then it just, it, then it became like the music industry. You go to the music, you know, and it's like whether it's hip hop, it's this type of hip hop, it's this type of dance music. Yep. Then it just became like you're very, very, very specific. So in, when I started, I actually, my typical day, I started training fighters in 2004, by the way. It was mm -hmm. called NHB at the time, you remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and my typical day is I'd have a figure girl, two groups of seniors, mm -hmm. fighters come in. Everyday fitness clients, a, a hard case in post rehab where someone's in a wheelchair. Yeah. This was my typical day. So I had to be diverse. You know, so now you actually become, you can become less diverse because people now seek you out. They go, well, I want to be a power lifter. So they go to the power lifter gym. Mm -hmm. And an interesting is a lot of people are actually great coaches within their thing, but you take them out of that. And let's say you lose your job. Mm -hmm. And now you got to go in the private sector and you might be working with people you might not want to, everybody want to work with athletes and driven people. Yeah. But where the money is, Jeff, sure. 
and the everyday is the everyday individual, right? Normally over 40, they got some bumps and bruises, and they're not training to be elite at anything. Exercise is secondary to them. I joke, I say it's adult PE, but I'd rather them do it with me than some other person who doesn't who's going to hurt them. Yeah. So in that case, you you do have to be a little more diverse and adaptable, and adapt on the fly. Because mm-hmm. if you're a trainer, this happens to you every day. People will come in on Monday, and you got this nice workout planned out, and they go, you know, my old college roommate who was my tennis team person we played tennis all weekend my legs are killing me can we not do legs today yeah. this is an everyday thing with yeah. trainers mm-hmm. you got to bowl up that nice periodized program and throw it in the garbage mm-hmm. and come up with something on the fly that still builds on yeah. that you can still build off of. for sure i think the biggest thing for me uh learning from the experience that i've had with working with a lot of mma guys is and myself too included is learning how to auto-regulate, learning how to mm-hmm. call that audible because these guys are going to come in no matter what at some point in time mm-hmm. with some bumps and bruises and some mm-hmm. injury there where you have to, again, sure. like you said, throw out what you've written down. So yeah. when you, I wanted to get to what uh, the the gym. So you said 3,200 square feet? 3,500 square 3, feet. 3,500. Yeah, yeah, and then I actually ended up having a smaller facility in team ground control. We were under Henzo Gracie yeah. and John Rollo. If you ever heard of Shogun fights, they actually show them down here as yep, well. Yep, yep. John was my first MMA MMA client. He's nice. a uh, he's a Henzo Gracie black belt. Shout out to John Rollo. Um, so we actually, when they opened up a bigger school, I had a little a little like mini facility mm-hmm. inside the MMA school where I yep. with the fighters there. It sounds uh, it's funny because we had the same kind of bringing up. Um, yep. I was in there with Dean Thomas too as well. So what did you see? Because, I mean, you didn't come from a traditional martial arts background, did you? No. There was a mediocre wrestler in high school. Yeah, yeah. So when you went to Hensel Gracie's, which is one of the, arguably one of the best jiu-jitsu gyms in the world, mm-hmm. um, how did you correlate over, like, training? What did you start to understand and adapt and learn when you had to work with these types of individuals on that elite level because most of those guys are elite well yeah well so just to be specific so nobody i was in baltimore henzo's was in new york yeah. and john at the time john's about was about 260 at the time he's a big boy mm-hmm. and uh we he used to go up to henzo's every other week we would drive three and a half hours and sometimes mm-hmm. i'd go up there sometimes he would train with sean alvarez in white plains new york card alameda some of these guys just to train with bigger guys that were also at that level yeah so and that's when those guys were training at Martin at Martin Rooney's place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, so I mean, I'm not going to speak like I was working directly well with Henzo in New York. That yeah, was yeah, Martin. Yeah. So I was the, the guy in, in Baltimore. Just, just in general, like with any oh. MMA jujitsu guy, like what would you say that you had to learn from the beginning? You know, other than your oh. general pop. Oh, I, so. I'll tell you the big, and you, I, I guarantee you deal with this as well. And keep in mind, I'm talking, when when the tough show, The Ultimate Fighter, got real big, 2007, that's when it just blew up, and then the trend, every workout on YouTube was underground workout or MMA workout, and then trainers realized you couldn't make any money because fighters don't have any money, and then that trend <laughs> died out pretty quick. But here's, here's the first thing that comes to mind, what I learned was this. These fighters, and by the way, I still do Muay Thai, I still do this myself as, as well, mm-hmm. um, not at the high level, but... I learned that these guys all have coaches in their ear. You know, they got their striking coach. They might have two. They may have a Muay Thai and a boxing coach. Mm-hmm. They may have two grappling coaches, a wrestling coach who's more takedowns, mm-hmm. and they got a jiu-jitsu coach. But they'd have multiple coaches. Okay. And then I realized it was almost like a college student where the, the one professor doesn't care how much work your other professor gave you. And it was almost like reversed where 
you were already tough, so you already were going to grind it out. So these guys never wanted to say anything. Mm-hmm. But the striking coach wanted them to win by knockout. Mm-hmm. So they didn't care how hard the other coach worked them the other day. The jiu-jitsu coach wanted them to win by submission, so they would drive them home. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the fighter is just so fatigued. Yeah. And then they come to me, and I look and I go, tell me what your weeks look like. Mm-hmm. And I look and I go, you need to go, your best thing right now is go home, eat, eat, a, eat something and take a nap. So I realized that the the human element of things that there wasn't a lot of team aspect involved. It was a lot of individuals. Yeah, especially back then, probably. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, if you ask me, the first thing that I learned it was actually more importantly that how to try to get the most from a performance standpoint without interfering. This applies to all sports mm-hmm. with your practice and play. So it was like, not just, oh, I have this periodized plan. It's like, okay, what are your hardest days? So in ground control, our hardest days were Tuesday and, and Friday. Yeah. Um, so it was like, okay, so if you're getting closer to a fight, I actually, my hardest day with you, I'm going to train you on Saturday. And then you would think, well, you're, they're going to be tired after their, their conditioning. Well, that's more important conditioning than what I'm doing with yeah, it. Yeah, of course. If you have to, you know, yeah. you have to miss one. So if you're a little fatigued from that, that's fine, but then I know Sunday you're going to be off. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, Tuesday's a hard day, so if you're going to only come in Monday, I'm going to make sure I don't make you sore mm-hmm. at all. So that's I'm not going to do a lot of eccentric loading. Yeah. So those are the things off the top of my head that I can try to make as practical as I, yeah. as I can. So, so when, you, when you developed, and it doesn't matter because it is subjective, but let's say from an overall perspective, programming, right? If you're programming for a particular fighter, let's say an MMA fighter, I'll make it more, mm-hmm. um, give you more context. So MMA fighter in camp, let's say he's got eight weeks, right? Okay. Usually. Yeah. All right. Um, he's a striker, and he has a fight against a grappler, and he usually is doing 12 sessions a week. What is going to be the main thing that you're going to be working with him on starting the camp and then all the way through to the fight? Now, you can make it very basic. You don't have to go into it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I would say the 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 idea of the, the fighter's style, and I like that you looked at that, but I'm that wouldn't be as relevant to me. I would think they're more... I'm not saying it's not relevant. Um, overall, mm-hmm. I would say that's more stuff they're going to work on in, in techniques and tactical work with their, with their coaches, yep. right? Yep. Um, but that being said, I mean, if there are certain, if there are certain things where they say, well, we want to work on this guy's isometric endurance to hold a position mm-hmm. to maybe get something, then maybe we'll do something like that. But aside from that, that's one exercise yep. or some element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you exactly what what I would do, and I, I'll I'll tell you both out camp, you know, non camp or whatever, and then in camp because mm-hmm. they're they're relevant to one another. Mm-hmm. My general choice default to train fighters is twice a week. Because they're always working out anyway, we would focus one day that would be more explosive movements, one day that would be more a little bit more strength type movements. Mm -hmm. Now I know if you're into the West Side stuff, conjugate stuff, you use dynamic effort, Mm -hmm. whatever. But um, some of that would be reflected. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily be barbells with bands. Mm -hmm. Dynamic effort could be jumps. Yeah, for sure. Could just be bands in your hands. And that's a good thing. I like that you said that because a lot of people have a misconception based off of West Side. And yeah. for the end of the day, when you're looking at explosive training or dynamic effort, that, yep. that encompasses different levels of velocities. So Correct. Yeah, and you're just basically training both ends of the force velocity curve. Mm-hmm. So, because keep in mind, the reason why is you're always dealing with, you're trying to get someone 
as strong as possible, but minimize putting on the muscle that may make it harder for them to make make weight. So you're dealing with that. All right, now, told you I'd to say this. In camp, that first day became smashed into, we would just call it a load explode day. So it would just be a mix of some strength and power work. Yep. The other day, would I would just call it specific conditioning type mm -hmm. stuff. So if you're an amateur, you're doing three threes, right? So if you're a pro, you're doing three fives. If you're a pro championship, it's five fives. So this is where we would just do conditioning circuits. If you're training for five fives, then I'm gonna do a, a, a circuit that is five minute that lasts five minutes and we're but it, it, you might not start you're not going to start there because that's like puke workout type mm -hmm. stuff that starts to get into the you know so it might I might give you the exercises that I know are going to take if you were blowing through it moving well it might take you about four minutes mm -hmm. and you might do one round that first day mm -hmm. and then I'll let you rest five six minutes right okay. so and then gradually we we just reduce the rest mm -hmm. To the point where you can do all five fives, and the movement patterns are similar. I know some people might start now getting into, oh, he's a functional guy. Okay, if you want to get better at bench press, can I cuss on here? Go ahead. What the fuck do you do? You bench press. You bench sure. press with bands. You bench press with boards. You bench press with chains. Yep. So if I want to get someone better at doing this, why is this bullshit? I don't. I don't yeah. get that. Yeah, no, I don't know. Right? You want to get better at squats? You do a lot of things that. Load the squats. Yeah. Somehow that only applies to three movements. That kind of yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of no, going on good. my little soapbox. You're good. So <laughs> it's okay to do things similar. I'm not. I'm not like loading punches. That's an accuracy component. But yeah. you get where I'm. Get where I'm going. Mm -hmm. The the rationale behind that is simply this. Because there's the counter argument would be if you're a smart coach, you're gonna think, well, they're getting that in fighting. Well, here's the thing. If you're trying to use sparring to get in shape, you are going to get hurt. And I don't mean punched in the face hurt. I mean, that's when you blow ACLs. So this allowed you to start improving your conditioning where you don't have to think the only way I can improve my conditioning is just go do gauntlet sparring. Yeah. Plus, the level of confidence that it would give you going into it where you're going, look, this guy or girl may beat me technically, but they are not going to out-condition me. For sure. Because I know that I've been hustling more with, with Nick. And by the way, type in Nick Tuminello MMA on YouTube. I've got some fighters full rounds mm -hmm. and actually relevant to this. Um, if some of you watch, not the say most recent UFC, there's a UFC on every weekend at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the first UFC that a couple uh, months ago or whatever that Tucker Lutz just mm -hmm. fought in from Baltimore. Yep. So Tucker Lutz came from the school that I was at, Ground Control. His coach was one of my fighters, Ryan Mackin. Okay. So it's kind of a generational yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very, very, I was very happy for those guys. You right. can see Ryan, me training full, some of these conditioning rounds with, with Ryan that are on YouTube. Yeah. I've always been very transparent with what I, what I do. No, so that was really what the conditioning day uh, was about. And that, those were the, that was the philosophy behind it and by the way that's that still holds true to this day like we do the same concepts we'll do the same type of circuits yeah just depending on the time frame i like that you minimize the rest periods breaking it down getting it all the way to the time domains of the fight correct which is which would be the, the last workout the last workout the, yeah for sure okay so i know we wanted to talk a little bit about isolation 
training, right? So or for for performance. Sure. Let's yeah. get into that a little bit because I know people obviously have that misconception of like, okay, that's not sports performance training or that's not sports specific or athletic. Go into detail on that and what what do you mean by that? Okay, sure. So we, we you know we've been hearing this for years. It's nothing new. Train movements, not muscles, right? You know, train things that mostly carry over, and then we look at things like bicep curls or machine training mm-hmm. as things that have less carryover. I, I get it. Those are very reasonable arguments. You're trying to maximize the time, maximize the amount of joints that you put force through. Mm-hmm. I get all that, but we all are still doing certain isolation exercises, right? We face pulls is probably a big one with with coaches because you're trying to hit muscles in ways that you might not that you might miss which is a good way to think about actually isolation exercises so Mm -hmm. I'm going to piggyback off of that Mm -hmm. I'm expanding now beyond fighters and just talking about all performance what you do in the gym translates to to something outside the gym that's not just looking better in 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 and out of your t-shirt yeah all right now first one this would be for a non-weight class sport Mm -hmm. in general what, what pitchers throw harder and what boxers or kickboxers have more knockouts? Smaller or bigger? It'll be bigger. Bigger. <laughs> Mass times acceleration. All right. So if I add five or ten pounds of muscle onto somebody, mm-hmm. did I just by physics increase their functional performance? Absolutely. Not only are they going to be able to throw harder and hit harder, but they're actually, if I'm training a basketball player, they're going to be able to box someone out easier because bigger bodies are harder to move. Exactly. I just made you more stable. So this is probably, this is not, this is not my opinion, this is physics. Yeah. So sometimes one of the best things you can do for an athlete is just get them bigger. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, even with young kids nowadays, I'm working with a high school football team and you know, even to get them faster get them stronger, you build their muscle, you get their get their joints working correctly, you build up right. some hypertrophy and you build up their confidence. When we talk correct, about correct. Now that sometimes people start going down the route like, oh I'm a train like a bodybuilder now. <laughs> no, you still do your sprints, you still do your mobility drills. Yeah. It just means that you're not afraid to do some of these other exercises. Now mm-hmm. I just did talk about it from a pure just put on muscle perspective. Mm-hmm. Let's actually talk about it from a, a strength to perform perspective. Here's what we can all agree on. I try not to be Mr. Opinion, right? We got a lot of these people, this is my method, and there's always going to be methods, and sure. we all know about that. Yeah. So I'm going to try to do things that I think we can all agree on. If I, let's say I didn't, I never did pushing exercises with an athlete. I only did pulling and hip hinging, and they, you would go, okay, well, unless that, that person is unable to push because they got shoulder issues or mm-hmm. AC joint issues or whatever, you left that person functionally deficient in a certain movement pattern, all right? Okay, so you would think whether well, more of an injury liability and they're less able to perform because you neglected to train a certain range of motion, mm-hmm. all right? We would agree on that. Now let's take that a step further. If, let's say I'm doing face pulls, that's a big one right now. Doesn't matter whether you got a band or ropes or even a suspension trainer and you're doing a decline sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is all basic physics, lever arms and stuff. It's hardest right here and it's easiest right here. Mm-hmm. What are we doing in a face pull? It's two things. It's external rotation and it's horizontal shoulder abduction. Mm-hmm. Right? When we really think about it, those are the two things you're strengthening. Mm-hmm. Now, I only really strengthen this part of abduction because mm-hmm. right here is nothing for yeah. me. 
right? Mm -hmm. Rows, even though you may be here or here, are hardest at the top, easiest down here. Lat pull downs hardest here, they're pretty hard across the board. Yeah. Have I done anything? This is the range of motion I have now with my shoulder. Mm -hmm. Have I done anything to be strong here or through here? No. No. So. Momentum. No. Now, am I going to get some carryover from the strength here to here? Yeah, but yeah. the further I get away from the ranges that I trained in, mm -hmm. the less strength I have yeah. to produce, reduce, and control force, which is what your muscles and tissues do. Tissues respond to how they're loaded. So. What would I need to do? So I'm leaving an athlete with a functional deficit here, especially when you start getting into jujitsu and you get all yeah. twisted up like a pretzel. Definitely. So I just gave you a functional movement-based reason why the old Arnold sideline rear delt flies, which is hardest here, easiest here, or just with a cable that way versus that way, makes your shoulder strength more complete. Sure. So if you look at my might be a shameless promotion, but I'm not do trying it, to make it that it. way. I was waiting if you for look it. At my, if you look at my label, my, my company's called Strength Zone Training. Gotcha. All I've done is just try to catalog I mean, exercises in two moves. And some of this is very old bodybuilding concepts just with a new performance-based twist. Okay. You have certain exercises that maximally load your muscles in the lengthened range, yep. certain ones that maximally load your muscles in the short range. Mm -hmm. You complete strength at every joint should be done in both zones. Mm -hmm. We do it for glutes. Uh, Instagram is, you know, booty building 101, thousand and one ways to do hip abductions. I get it. We do it for glutes. Squats and deadlifts, that's length and range glutes and all the hip thrust stuff, that's short and range. But when it comes for every other muscle group, we, we, don't, we don't do that. Yeah. What about, um, so with that, you're looking at, you're looking at obviously position. You're looking at peak contraction theories you looking at any of those or you it's it's let's let's make it more simple mm -hmm. it just has to do with how you're putting force across tissues mm -hmm. all resistance exercise is an adaption to force across tissues mm -hmm. that's all we're doing your body gets stronger because it's better tolerating force across tissue yeah so muscles respond to how they how they're loaded and yes the brain is dealing with it too mm -hmm. so if I'm never actually dealing with load in a certain range mm -hmm. then I'm neglecting improving in that range. Yep. So what I'm doing is I actually call it upside down strength training. We always think, we think in terms of what you are doing to the weights, right? So we think like barbell bench press, this is more power lifter, but you know, you bow your body into the bench, do this. Yeah. That's about the barbell. Nobody cares what your technique looks like. Yeah, it's yeah. all about, can you move the bar from here to here and get that light? Yes, yeah, moving. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But strength training would be the opposite. I want my body flat. Mm -hmm. I want to get as max range of motion. That's about my body, not about the barbell. Mm -hmm. Or so, muscular, muscular tension. Correct. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I'm actually training to get my body better at functioning through a range. I'm not training to get better at a lift. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You're see, putting yourself in a in a in a advantageous position. Correct. So mm -hmm. what I'm what I'm saying is that when I call it inside out strength training or upside down strength training. We, fo we tend to focus on what we are doing to the weights, and that's good, form. Mm -hmm. But we forget that if unless you're training for a, body, uh, a powerlifting competition, mm -hmm. you're training for what the weights are doing to you. Mm -hmm. And what I brought up is understanding what they're also not doing for you. Mm -hmm. And it's just looking at force, some people call it force vectors, it's really yeah. line, line of force. Yeah. And okay, where's the line of force relative to that? And you're just picking exercises in a more intelligent way to fill in strength gaps. Okay, so now that this kind of gets me thinking about isokinetics a little bit because of constant tension through 
force vectors, right? Sure. And we're looking at it from, let's say from a specific, uh, and I hate to say it because I don't want to go like the SPP route, but mm -hmm. let's look at football, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. If we're looking to train a linebacker mm -hmm. to have better pressing power, do you think that doing the bench press as you know as a means of pressing movements mm -hmm. um, to increase his performance, or should he work on things like you know an isokinetic machine or something like that? to enhance the muscles that cross the joint to allow him to push and press harder? Oh, no. I, I think, here's the thing. I, I think the question is, um, it's not what this or the other, it's how does it go together. I'm talking mm -hmm. about filling in gaps. So sure. I think the bench press or the isokinetic would all do well for a movement. Okay. Yeah. All I'm saying is, let's instead of memorizing things, oh, this is a bench press, Louis Simmons' bench press was good, or my coach said this, mm -hmm. we just analyze, objectively look at it and go, okay, what am I working here? Yeah. If, again, if you're not training for a powerlifting competition or to impress yourself or your friends, you're not bench pressing to get good at bench pressing. Mm -hmm. You're bench pressing for what it does to you. Yeah. What does it do to you? It strengthens you through this range of motion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all your body cares about. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't care if it's a band or anything else. It's just yeah. responding to force. Yeah. So then go, okay, so that's kind of like horizontal shoulder adduction. Yes, your arm's a little more like an arrow, but let's let's kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, it's getting you better at this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the question is, do I only need to get good here mm -hmm. from a health standpoint, or do I should I actually be strong throughout this range? Yeah. Am I going to end up being here less often? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. guess what? Where's most of your focus and priority go? Here. Mm -hmm. But should I do some of this to not leave a deficit? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's I hate to say injury prevention, but reduction, in a sense. Yeah, and I get what you're saying, but you know what? At the end of the day, that's the that's the language our athletes use. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 trying to do your best to. I know, you know, you know. Exactly, as much as yeah. you possibly can. Yeah. So, like, all right, now if we were to put this in, let's say, just a workout, right? Mm -hmm. We're gonna do our. We're gonna start with our main lifts, and then we're gonna work towards our isolation, or we're we gonna go right from isolation. Uh, really good question. I mean, so here's, but I make it broad. All the main lifts that everybody focuses on, and, and not even just the lifts, the, the big exercises, your mm -hmm. jumps, your sprints, your mm -hmm. performance stuff, your medicine ball rotation exercises, mm -hmm. all that stuff I still think is the safest bet to be as your foundation. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, all the points I'm making when it comes to this isolation stuff is this, is then you look at what areas and ranges of motion have been neglected through those big movements. Mm -hmm. And that's how you choose your isolation exercises. Okay. Versus just saying, well, I'm just gonna do face pulls because it's good for your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Or saying like, well, isolation exercises are, you know, just for, or like, okay, you wanna do arms, so do this. Mm -hmm. Or the other way to think about it is say, is look at all isolation exercises as the same, right? So, okay, here's a good one. For a football player, especially someone on defense, mm -hmm. you gotta reach out a lot of times to tackle. Mm -hmm. This is where you, you tear biceps, mm -hmm. right? So, what actually may be better from a performance standpoint, injury prevention, mm -hmm. the best we can, uh, typical standing bicep curls or more of a preacher curl or something that actually, the cable like back that way. Back that way, yeah. back that way because yeah. you're actually maximally loading in the length. And you can make a, make a point of actually like, like cable flies even in that perspective. Correct, so all I'm saying. Because depending on the, the position of yeah. where the tackle is. All I'm saying is, is, is that it's just looking at how to put force across the tissues yeah. that the compound movements have missed. From a performance standpoint, I just call it full range strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So that's what if you look on my website, it says true full range of motion strength training. Okay. We think full range of motion means moving through a full range. Mm -hmm. But I just showed you, well here, if you're doing side raises, this is your full, well, this is your full range. But yeah. in a side raise, this is your full range. Yeah, but did I get strong through that range? Am I getting strong down here? No. 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 So that's not true full range strength. Sure. Yeah. The adaptions aren't full range. Yeah, yeah. It's, this, it's deceptively full range. <laughs> correct. Now last thing, let's say I get you and you go, you know, I've been lifting hard, whatever, but side raises kill my shoulders. Mm -hmm. So I just can't do it, but I really, I'm losing my, my strength there. I can't mm -hmm. do much. So like, all right, Phil, show me. And you go, I show me where it hurts. And you start to get up in that range, and then that trap starts coming in, right? And that's the mm -hmm. compensation. You go, ah, okay. Yeah. Fine. All right, so I just bring your arm down here, and I just put a force, angle force that way. Mm -hmm. And I can strengthen your delts right in here. Right there, yeah. And you're like, now again, this is really simple stuff. Yeah. Don't complain that this is so basic and nothing new and then complain that trainers are getting caught up in new funky shit can't have it both ways right yeah. so but I I might have just changed your life because mm -hmm. you always thought everything is here yeah. so now I'm starting to feed good things to that shoulder joint and also start to tell your brain this maybe not as painful as you think mm -hmm. and right off the bat if I can trainers you know this if you can make someone feel better that day you got a client for life. Yeah, 100%. So sometimes even these little nerdy force lines of force things we're talking about, little simple things like that, yeah. someone just goes, "Holy crap, I can do this." Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So let's. Uh, I want. I saw a video uh, on YouTube with you, uh -huh. and you were looking at. I think you were you were doing a seminar or something like that. And you were talking about positioning yourself to watch an athlete or a client uh, do a movement. Right? Yeah, yeah. Those angles there. People don't understand that though. Positioning yourself to watch right. a lift or an, or an exercise is very important. Can you elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah, okay. And I, of course, I got coaches all telling me, oh, no, you know. <laughs> so here's what I said. It's a short little video. It was taken from a seminar. Thank you for watching that, by the way. What I said was the best. I'll, cl I'll, I'll create context in a second. Coaching angle is 45 degree angles to your client. So imagine if you're coaching a Romanian deadlift. If you stand 45 degrees in the front or 45 degrees in the back, you can pretty much see everything, mm -hmm. right? But if you stand directly in front of them or directly behind them, you're, you're missing a lot. And even when they're doing rows, if I'm only standing on one side, that whole other side is, is gone to me. Now, I might not care about that side for whatever reason, but if yep. you, you got a lower body position or half kneeling, you want to see everything. Now, people forget that I always go, this is Facebook or Instagram, not a textbook. So they think that I only stand there like a robot. Yeah. Don't move. And they're like, well, you're going to move around your client. Yeah, thank you for that one, Copernicus. <laughs> I appreciate that. Here's all I meant. What I meant was your initial default angle to start. To see the most things is start at a 45-degree angle. Then as soon as you see something going wrong, yeah. then you move over and you focus on that. Sure. But you'll see the most things that you know where you want to move to because for the coaches that say, well, I keep walking around. You're gonna keep walking around your client? You're, your client's gonna go, you need to sit the fuck down. You're making me nervous, you know? Yeah, so you much. don't, you yeah, don't do that. Too much, yeah. You know, so that's all I meant. Yeah, I always say like, yeah. I, I, that is a default. Like I'll go, I find myself going that 45 degree angle just in general, yeah. like I'm yeah. like, uh. Cause you pay attention that, to detail. Yeah, and then and then from there, obviously we'll look at it, but but yeah, and especially with the major lifts, you know, definitely. I thought it was interesting. I like I like the way you went about it. But I appreciate that, man. Yeah, no problem. So, let's talk a bit about the anti loop. 
Well, we have some in the gym. We yeah. use it a lot. We use it a lot with the athletes. Yeah. Um, how did this come about? Because it's it's super efficient for us. Yeah, appreciate um, And effective, that. obviously. Yeah. So first off, disclaimer, if you're not familiar with the NT Loop, I'm a trainer first. I became a product guy. All right? I'm still a trainer. All I did was I just invented what I think is a better super band. Mm-hmm. So um, it's 50 inches. Most super bands are strength bands, depending on what company you buy them from. They're great to go around your barbell or your chin-up bar, yep. but you put them around your body and they are very uncomfortable and they flip and they dig. Yep. So I basically just made a fabric super band. That's the only solution it's there to provide is it's designed to be the most comfortable, stable band to go around your body. So that's like my little saying. Yep. Don't stop buying super bands. Don't say, it. just say those are designed to go around your barbell mm-hmm. and loops are designed to go around your body. Now, i got to give credit where credit is due. When the hip bands came out, the booty bands, mm-hmm. all right? Um, Shout out to hip circles. Yeah, Mar- yeah Mark, Mark. I, as far as I know, Mark Bell is the first guy to come out with yeah. those. I, you know, I've learned. I've I learned, think so. I think he is. Yeah, right. I've learned now. Every time I try to give credit, some, there's someone always like, well, someone's did that before. And I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never, never so going to make everybody So that's happy. the first person that I know. I saw those. And I used to always, I was constantly putting super bands around people's bodies. Yeah. You know, to do waist-resisted deadlifts, mm-hmm. to push the knees mm-hmm. in or out, resisted running, and then there's a lot of funky stuff I was doing as well. Yeah. Um, all the, the spiral stuff, yeah. you do the load punches and yeah, things. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, so when, that, when those came out, I saw them and I went, and I got a hold of a couple, and I go, I love the comfort and stability. I go, but these things don't stretch much. They're not designed to stretch much. They're just designed to push the knees out, right? Yeah. So I was like, so I actually cut one, Mm -hmm. and and I tried to pull it, but it still had hit that, like, fabric limit. So I said, if I can set out to manipulate the combination of the latex and the fabric to make this really stretchy like a super band, Mm -hmm. then then I got something. Yeah. Nobody else had anything out there like that. And um, when I told a couple people about the idea, it was kind of like, oh yeah, I can't, be- can't believe no one's done that. And I was like, well, that's when I know I got a good idea. Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, it took me about a year of R&D to figure that out. Yeah. And we got a really good stretch. I mean, we perform better, carries it. We got really good am- reviews on Amazon. It's pretty much a staple with trainers, yeah, yeah. piece of equipment. Definitely. And um, so yeah, don't, tr- don't, don't trust me, test me. Go on YouTube or, or yeah. uh, Instagram and type in NT Loop. Definitely. And you'll see tons of trainers using it. And then oh. I have like a proprietary door anchor that we put in the second generation of the bands, mm-hmm. um, which actually worked out. I think, really. I think Bobby sent me. Yeah, Rosetti gave yeah, me a bunch Rosetti of Rosetti gave me some too yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Do, um, how long are you here for? I'm, I'm living here now, bro. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Let's do, let's, let's, we're going to hop on a, I know I'm doing this on podcast, but let's yeah. hop on a YouTube video at some point. Maybe, Absolutely. maybe tomorrow if you can, be, be good or not, uh, if not that or early. next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll we'll talk about it. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, but we'll definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sounds good. Thanks again right. for coming on. Uh, anything as far as uh, YouTube, Instagram, social media stuff, go ahead. Floor is yours. Uh, just Nick, Nick Tuminello. I'm easy to find. I always joke, I say Google, Google knows me. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a bunch of books. Uh, I'm easy to find online. You don't need yeah. to give me, I don't need to give myself too much of that. Um, I'm not blowing smoke, but I, I want to actually just thank you, not only for all you're doing for the field, but just for giving other people a platform to share their knowledge and for your willingness to give back. Yes, we make money. Yes, you get to do what you love, but, but that's a win-win for everybody. There's a lot of coaches who like to criticize or just comment, but they don't actually put themselves out there. Yeah. And 
good or bad, it takes a lot of guts to do it. So okay. I appreciate that you oh, do that you. and and for the oh. detail, the amount of detail that you uh, that you clearly put into it. So Much respect, coach. The thank field you. is better for. It. I appreciate it. Thank you. Here. All right. See you guys next time.